0: Megabus Diaries Chapter 5. Welcome Break. Down. I stare into my cost-a-lot-of-money flat white grande and think about the role that coffee now plays in people's lives. Not just in their lives, but in the whole fabric of modern culture itself, of ancient culture, of all culture. Sufis used it to aid concentration during prayers and the chanting of mantras. When it was first roasted in the 1400s, coffee was reserved for priests and other holy men. As the plant spread westwards via the trade routes, it came to Italy and later Western Europe. From here, it travelled across the Atlantic to South America, where it became a valuable source of income. At one point, half the world's coffee was produced in Saint-Domingue alone. Wikipedia is great. Now, this formerly sacred bean is the base of so much tradition Perhaps in the distant future coffee scholars will recount how the imbibing of coffee became the ritual of travellers on ancient coach journeys who found themselves stranded at heavily branded waypoints when their vehicle had developed a brake fault and been forced to pull over and wait for mechanical assistance. Two hours was the expected wait time until help would arrive. Then said help would need to identify the fault and hopefully fix it on site. If they needed parts then the wait would be significantly longer. Want some company? She breaks my caffeinated line of thoughts and sits down opposite me. She has gone for a bucket-sized cappuccino with chocolate powder sprinkled through a coffee bean stencil. I assume this is to reassure you that you have ordered and received what is definitively coffee, and not just some brown water with froth on it. She smiles at me, a simple smile, a natural and open smile. She makes a little nod to encourage a reply from me, at which point I realise I'm staring and thinking without actually responding in any audible or even visible way. Sorry, hello, uh, hi, uh, I'm Nick. Well, it looks like we're stuck here for a bit, Nick. She drops a book on the table with playful irreverence. My name's Helen. The secret lives of the Tudors makes a light thud as it lands on the wood effect laminate. I got a bit burnt out with Tracy Borman, she says, and does a kind of half-smile, half-frown thing, then asks, have you read it? My response is beyond erudite, Um, I say. Beyond erudite in the wrong direction, unfortunately. The old internal dialogue kicks in. Who is Tracy Borman? Should I know this? Does not knowing this flag me up in some way to be nothing more than an ignorant halfwit obsessed with impenetrable sci-fi and action movies? In middle age, there are so many things one is expected to know and have. I made a list. You must know the names and former positions of the entire cabinet and at least half of the shadow cabinet. You must read books about things that are of no interest to anyone else. You must listen to Ricky Gervais podcasts and genuinely find them funny. You must eat out at least twice a month. You must know the current exchange rates for three different countries of your choice. You must know who Stephen Graham is. You must be able to navigate around your nearest large city without a map or GPS. You must have a will. You must have a pension. You must know directors and writers and producers as well as actors. You must have a career. You must never laugh at farts. You must be confident and inspiring in every situation. There is too much stuff I'm supposed to know. If I was 27 and dripping in wearable tech, I could probably have the entire synopsis of the secret lives of the Tudors beamed into my brain to give the impression of being knowledgeable and therefore erudite and sexy. But this is me, so all I can come up with is is it good she ignores my internal dialogue and confirms with careful emphasis it's fantastic i just love the tudors what an amazing period don't you think the intrigue and philandering and politics and opulence oh it's fantastic stuff and her writing is so she pauses to find the word accessible not too academic intrigue and philandering sounds like current politics to me She tilts her head and expresses a mixture of confusion and curiosity. I mean, well, I don't know an awful lot about history. The admission is a relief to both of us. I read science fiction myself, stross Gibson, Clarke, Asimov, that kind of thing. Long pause. There it is, the disconnect. The nerd alert alarm bells are ringing in her head already. I can practically hear the thought process, the disdain, all of which will trigger my resentment Of those who read books for the more mature mind then i am a middle-aged child in a world of young grown-ups all being incredibly sensible all with mortgages pension plans and making healthy life choices she takes a sip of her bowl of froth i like claire north the statement hangs in the air i'm waiting for the completion of the statement but it never comes she simply smiles at me with a ridiculous but somehow cute and sexy cappuccino foam moustache She does her simple smile again, and I can't help but laugh. What? Why is that funny? My schoolboy snigger continues, and she laughs with me. What is it? What have I said? It's the... I point to my own top lip, and draw the tip of my index finger left to right, back and forth. The frothy tash. Oh, God. She wipes it away with the palm of her hand, and then cleans her hand with a paper napkin. For the first time I notice her fingers, which are delicate and without polish. There are two rings on her right hand and a thumb ring on her left. She also wears a thin silver bracelet on the left wrist. Where were we? You like Claire North? Thank you Service Station Coffee franchise for the gift of laughter. We have shared something that is wholly ours. A moment of intimacy and happiness has opened the door to something. Something what? The thought is lost. Correct, is that a bad thing? Claire North is brilliant. She started writing at such an early age as well first 12 lives of Harry August is a piece of genius. You know they're making a film of it, she says excitedly. Her comment is almost conspiratorial. She leans forward and shares the beans. Wes Ball is directing. I know this. I know who Wes Ball is. I'm a proper grown-up. The maze runner guy. I ponder this for a moment. The styling, the pacing, the narrative aesthetics. That could work, is my considered and now knowledgeable and therefore sexy response. Helen sits back and cocks a finger in my direction. Bingo, she says. I think you're right. I wasn't too sure at first. I mean, Harry August has a pretty complex plot. This is the door to something honest. That's what it is. A chance to remove a layer of social convention and be human. She looks at her coffee and stirs it slowly as we discuss the intricacies of an obscure steampunk-style sci-fi novel and the competencies of cult Hollywood direction. I know things about things, it seems. I'm not the ignorant buffoon I consider myself to be, the laughing stock and the butt of jokes. I am not the clown. The mask is slowly falling away, and for the first time in a long time, I know who I am. My new companion perhaps senses this drawing back of the curtain. There is a question coming. I can feel it, something meaningful. She picks up the cup and looks at me over the rim, her face obscured, hands made to look absurdly tiny by the relative size of the double-handled coffee bucket. Then she hits me with it, straight between the eyes. So what's your story, Nick? Pow, and I want to put the mask straight back on. I want to shrink and crawl under the table and look at interesting posts on LinkedIn about how we all need to be more something or how someone really clever can help me be something other than myself. This is the role that social media now fulfils. It's an endless Rolodex of tips on how to be someone else, do something else, and go somewhere else, while simultaneously being who we are in the moment, in this place. The level of cognitive dissonance in the world is now threatening to tear our mind in two. I can handle questions like, what do you do? Or have you got kids? Or what car do you drive? Although the last of those is pretty lame as an example when travelling via Budget Coach. But you get the gist. The thing that these types of questions have in common is that they are not really about you. They are really about the asker, eliciting information that they can then use to steer the conversation according to their own agenda. For example, have you got kids, is a backdoor to ascertaining a relationship status and therefore level of availability. It's uncomfortable, I know, to think that we are this manipulative in our conversation, but there it is. Relationships are power-based status games and we all do it. What is interesting about her is Helen's question, is that it gives me power, which is a powerful move, not in terms of having power over others, but in terms of owning one's own power. Her question is completely open, she is not guiding me in any direction, she is giving me free rein to tell my story my way. Firstly, I am bestowed with a sense of autonomy and purpose because this fellow human being opposite me at a service station on the M6 is demonstrating trust and a genuine interest in the lived experience of another. Secondly, I want to kiss her. My story? She must see the sudden panic in my eyes because she offers a qualifier to settle me. Yeah, you know, where are you at in life? How did you get here? I'm sorry if you think I'm nosy. I thought you looked like an interesting person. I am an interesting person, goddammit. Thank you. Thank you, Tudor-loving Helen, for seeing that. Well, first of all, thanks and hello. I like to think I'm quite interesting. She looks at me, parodying sternness. But you do owe me a compliment now you realise that. I hold up my hands, playing along. I wouldn't have it any other way. I ponder a moment and look at the assortment of travellers in this most unnatural of locations. In fact, how would you feel if I wove an equalising compliment into the reply to your original question? She winks and clicks her tongue while flicking the point in my direction. I like your thinking, Nick. I nod as I sense a shared appreciation of each other's repartee. My story. Oh yes, she says encouragingly. Well, this is where I'm at, so I'll begin here. I gesture to the surroundings of the services, with its open-plan coffee purveyance installation, vending machines, fast food counters and slot machine area. We both take a moment to take in the complex banality of the whole thing. I'm on my way to West Trayton to see an old school pal. He's been working with MSF. MSF? Médecine Sans Frontier. Wow, very cool. It's incredibly cool, I agree. He's been doing logistics work for them. He's not a doctor or anything. But pretty bloody crucial, she joins in. Exactly. Essentially, he's an organiser. And they all do the same basic training as well. There's a whole load of stuff about what to do with a grenade, and how to deal with being held up at gunpoint at checkpoints. Crazy stuff. Anyway, I haven't seen him in years. So when he got back, I said I'd come down and we could celebrate. Celebrate him coming back, you mean? That and my divorce. Aha, the juicy stuff. She tears open the plastic wrapper of her complimentary biscuit and bites off a corner. Is she really going to turn that thing into a meal? A gerbil would be malnourished on one of those. She looks at the rest of the biscuit, snaps it in two, and sticks the whole thing in her mouth like a tiny sandwich. So go on, she says with a little difficulty caused by the chewing of the biscuit. I shrug in compliance and start to tell the story. we have been together for about 12 years. Two kids, good life, you know, the whole shebang, and... I tail off. I really want to tell this like I don't care, like it's something that happened to someone else. But the old anxiety rises in me, trapping my voice mid-sentence. I swallow the emotion down, drink some coffee, and continue. I, uh... I suppose I got lost in some grief issues after my mother died. She was dealing with a particularly tricky career path, and we just stopped being there for each other. I look at her directly, and I want to be completely honest with this person. It was hard on the kids. It was hard on us all. How long? Her voice is matter of fact. But there is compassion there too. Three years since the split, a year since the divorce. Somehow, I've come out of it all with bugger all. Men do have a habit of falling on their swords. I look at her and recognise that there is not an iota of humour in this comment. She is deadly serious and she is right. I do the honourable thing, the right thing, the honest thing, and end up fucking freezing and far away from home. I fell on my sword and I just kept falling. Can I be honest, Helen? She returns my gaze with ease. She is not smiling, but she is calm. She is holding this space for both of us. She says nothing, but makes a little nod, so I say it. I'm pretty broken right now, and the world stops turning. I'm in a bullet-time frozen moment. I am aware of everything. We are connected in this place, and nothing matters. We are alone in this moment of honesty. She doesn't smile, she doesn't frown. She holds the tension with gentle assertion. Her lips part, and there is a small intake of breath as she begins to speak. Nick. Yes, mate. All right. What's going on? Fruit Ninja is here. A massive grin on his face. A half-made roll-up in one hand. His battered phone in the other. Timing, they say, is everything. He stands there grinning at us, his head bopping out of its own volition to the music playing through a single earbud. You know what I mean? Somehow, this last stage not right has slipped into this moment. Our moment. She is still looking at me. Still, she holds the power in this place and I see the smile start. Right at the corners of her mouth, there is an involuntary twitch which spreads both outwards and inwards, and the laugh begins to travel up her throat as a delicate snort. Then I can't help myself. The pain of grief is instantly transformed into a riotous laugh. An insane roar of laughter erupts from within me, and I am crying, banging my fist on the table at the absurdity of this scene. Stuck in a services with a broken down budget bus, this woman and I have never met And a co-passenger who has inadvertently steered us away from something dark and painful into a place of blazing light and joy he stands looking back and forth between us what what is it shut up what is it then he is in on it and there is no joke there is only laughter simple joyful burbling ecstatic laughter with no context the laughter is the context sit down i say wiping my eyes and composing myself Join us, please. So he sits. Have you got a drink? Asks Helen. No, I'm all right, love. Don't worry about it. She gets it immediately. What would you like? It's the least we can do for timing like that. What timing? What? He stutters with innocent confusion. Let's just say you stole the moment. There it is again. That honest wit, the simple smile and a genuine compassion and generosity of spirit. I'm a little in awe of this woman. Oh, no did I bust in on you two? I'm sorry, guys. Oh, shit. She says I've got no, what do you call it, self-awareness? He sits down and is lost in a moment of glum reflection. He wipes his face with the palm of his hand, his eyes heavy with a sudden emotion. Is it all right if I get a Peroni? Cheeky bugger. Absolutely. Whatever you like, says Helen. We sit and drink and it is Tug, as he refers to himself, that tells us his story. I was half expecting a tale of woe from children's homes, to streets, to drug abuse, to crime. But according to him, his upbringing was pretty sweet. He has two younger brothers and an elder sister. His mother and father separated when he was five. But this doesn't bother him, because it's normal nowadays. He talked about his current relationship, and how he thinks he has messed it all up. He was diagnosed with adult ADHD, and seems to have a pretty good insight into this. He acknowledged his problems affected how he related to people. Doesn't do drugs. Not hard ones, anyway. So where are you going, Tug? Helen asks. No idea, love. I just lost it. I know I've hurt her, but I'm shit at this stuff. I just bought a ticket and jumped on a bus. Feel like a bit of a dickhead now. And my phone's dead. There's charging points on the bus, I offer, with an attempt at being supportive. Have you got a lead I can borrow? What phone do you use? The digital world permeates every aspect of our lives now. We have become so distanced from the real world, the real world, even the nature of nature is up for question, as influencers, gurus and thought leaders spout great gouts of liquid bullshit to secure their next contract, or sponsorship deal, or research grant. I want to grab these smug fuckers by the neck and wring the life out of them for their mind tricks. The no-thought police wreaking havoc on the planet's population with some twisted rendering of postmodernism. Blah, blah, blah. I bore myself at times. Anyway, we established that my lead is not compatible, and nor is Helen's, so I offer to buy one from the services. Tug is resistant to this, then relents, and is adamant that he will pay us back. Be ever so grateful, sort me out, and all manner of expressions of thanks. It has been an emotional journey so far, so I'm just happy to do something that feels practical and useful. No biggie. I wander over to Tech Zone, where one can buy anything from a phone charger cable to a new quad-core something or other, which is obviously something vital for a long motorway journey. There is enough multicoloured rope lighting to kit out a Soho brothel. I look back at Helen and Tug, who are now deep in conversation. I admire his stoicism and fearlessness. I feel a twinge of behavioural guilt for judging him so harshly. I judge all the time. I put people in little boxes and mark them with complex labels. Tug is not looking for sympathy or charity, even though he's clearly hurting. He's down on his luck, stuck in a shitty low-paid job, and all the guy wants is to have a decent relationship with someone he obviously cares about. Isn't this what we all want? Isn't that it? The secret to it all? Imagine if we could all just have decent relationships with friends, family, lovers, and even complete strangers on a cheap coach trip. What a world. Why do we fuck it up so much? Why do we heap so much shit on other people and ourselves Imagine if more of us could just smile and hold the space, take the tension and listen. Here's a tip. If someone in their 50s tries to start a conversation with you, it's not because they are being weird or pervy or mental or creepy. They are, in fact, acting on the knowledge, yes, knowledge, not opinion, that connecting, forming relationships and sharing experience is all that matters in life. They have acquired this knowledge by passing through pain, by crawling on their hands and knees through an emotional war zone, where no one really wins. I remember the lyrics to a song I heard once. In the battleground of love, the broken hearts lie bleeding. Wounded in some war, has no territory or state. So there you have it. Making healthy, happy relationships and sharing with each other is all that matters. On this, I will not back down. I will bend to popular opinion on gender politics, safe spaces for students, puerile censorship action on classic comedy, and a whole gamut of actions and opinions, which I find range from odd to abhorrent. I will concede that I'm a bit long in the tooth, and I am probably not as in touch with the issues of those younger than me as I like to think. I will even acknowledge that my whole diatribe about the DIY Gen X peace and fucking anarchy in the packing area generation is largely based on experiences I had while out of my tiny art college dropout mind. But I will not, indeed, must not compromise on this simple notion. Who we know how we show care and compassion and what we can do and achieve together is all that matters, all that matters. If you think your car, your job, the number of followers on whatever social platform you subscribe to, your cock size, your credit score, your fucking shopping list or your makeup bag is of any real importance, then you are living a lie. There is this incredible woman who I've just met but who seems to sit so comfortably with me. She is talking to a guy I would never have met any other way except by chance. I'm buying him a phone cable so that he can charge his phone to call his girlfriend and try and make sense of his life. And this has happened because the brakes on our coach is shot. Chance, luck, kismet, serendipity. Call it what you will. This is more real to me now than the bullshit I'm running away from. I pay three times the high street price for the lead and thank the guy. Poor bastard. He's just trying to make a living. Back at the table, We've been joined by a mother with a small child and one or two other Megabus comrades. Helen looks at me with a broad grin and holds up her hands and shrugs as if to say, I don't know what's happening, but it's great. She pulls out the chair next to her and I sit down. Opposite me is a young mother with a toddler on her knee, waving a Tommy tippy cup around with gay abandon. I look at the Marmite stained chin and lower my head to meet this new human. The child's eyes are like pale blue glass marbles The child looks at me and smiles. So what's your story? I ask.